you have Bible. We will be in 1 John. We have two more weeks. Um, and then Advent's cutting me off. So Advent has saved you guys from being in 1 John for the rest of our lives. Uh, I look back at how many we've done already, and there was, I thought there was going to be like seven or eight. I think we're on like 14, guys. Sorry about that. I'm just kidding. I'm not sorry at all. That was a lie. Uh, I'm having a great time. So we're in 1 John, but we're approaching the end of 1 John. Actually, we're in 1 John chapter 5 today. Um, and there's this amazing thing. John introduces this new idea of overcoming the world. That's how 5.1 is, uh, like they put the, the editors put like this heading in mind. It says overcoming the world. John introduces this idea of overcoming the world seemingly out of nowhere. It's bizarre. Um, it's so good though. So, so here's the deal. Uh, hey, did you guys hear about the lottery? And look, I'm not pro-lottery. I'm anti-lottery. If you're curious why I'm anti-lottery, I'd be glad to take you to Florida with me to a poor part of town and let you watch who's buying those lottery tickets. It's depressing. So, anti-lottery. But, you know, when it hits $2 billion, like, you can't help but have the conversation, right? Like, what would you do with $2 billion? And then somebody says, well, dude, you can have to pay taxes on that. And, 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 not, and if you take the one-time payout, just so you know, it's a little over $900 million. You could almost afford an NFL football team. $900 million. That's insane. So, you can't help but have those conversations. People ask me all the time, uh, like, what would, like not, what would you do? I'd like to tell you that I wouldn't do much. I don't think I would change much, uh, I, I, but I'm worried that's not true, right? Like that's a, that kind of money would change you, right? Like I can tell you this. I don't think I'd buy cars and houses, but I wouldn't fly commercial anymore. That's for dang sure. Um, that'd be the thing that I did. Like I'd just never fly commercial ever again. Uh, what'd you do with $900 million? I rode by myself. That's what I did. You have these conversations about 900 million, and I think the reason these things capture our thoughts, and me and my buddy Way, we would be driving uh, to events, he was a speaker, and I'd be going with him, and, and uh, a preacher, and uh, we'd go to these events where he's speaking, and you'd pass through these places that had the lottery, and he, we, we'd just have that conversation, because you're in the car for eight hours on the way to an event, you know? Was, what would you do? Uh, and he always told me that I was the worst, and that I was boring, and it was no fun uh, to play this game with me. Uh, but it was always like, dude, I'd buy a house in uh, Vail, I'd buy a house, and there's all these, like, buying these houses and these cars, and who you would give money to, and who you wouldn't on purpose and then call them and tell them, hey, I made a lot of money. I could give you money, but I'm not going to. Never liked you. Click. Like, it was like that kind of stuff, having a good time, enjoying it. And I think the reason that this is fun for us, that we enjoy these conversations, uh, is because deep down we think that if we had $900 million, everything would be okay. Right? Like, you think that, you know, if I had that kind of money, like, what kind of problem could I not overcome? Right? I mean, that's what we think deep down inside. Like, it's, it's, it's fun, yeah, but I think we really believe that if we just had more time and money, everything would be okay. Tom Brady and Giselle would disagree. They had plenty of time and money and, you know, work out for them so well. Breaks my heart. I mean, not for them. Like, I don't like Tom Brady. But, you know, marriage is important and it's sad, right? They got kids and stuff. I just think that if we believe that if we had enough money, enough resources, that no matter what came our way, that we could just, like, you could get over it. Like, you could, you could make those problems go away if you had enough money, if you had enough resources, you could make those things go away. And I just don't know that that's true. As a matter of fact, I, I know for a fact it's not true that if you just had enough money that we could overcome whatever problem comes our way. Uh, and that's what we're doing. Like every single one of us, we're trying to just overcome the things that come our way. Every single person I've ever met, uh, we're just trying to plan enough to be strong enough, to know the right people, to save enough, to give our kids the right opportunities, 
so that they're successful. We're trying to do all of these things just to overcome all of the things that are coming our way. And John points us in a direction today of a way that's actually much more reliable than winning the lottery. Like, I don't know that we should all pin our hopes on a Florida retirement, right? You know? Instead, let's, let's put our, something, our faith in something more stable, something more sure. I'm going to read to you the first five verses of John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. It says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. And by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So in this section, in these verses, uh, John's been going on and on and on about love lately, like the whole last chapter or more. And even before that, he's just been going on and on and on about love and how love is this mark and this sign. It is the key thing in the Christian identity is love because it's what our God is like. He goes, he goes so far as to say God himself is love. So how could that not pass on into his children? He's been going on and on about love, that it's the key to Christian identity. He's been insisting that love is that identity. And here he actually keeps talking about love, but he changes focus. He changes emphasis a little bit, and he begins to focus on faith. John is doing, doing this in his letter. If you go back and you read First John, again, you'll notice that he kind of circles ideas, adding a little bit more each time he passes the idea. So this time he's coming back around to a, a, a familiar topic in this letter. He's coming back to love, but this time it's focused on faith. I heard one guy wrote, wrote it this way. He says, uh, John is insisting that the road to love is paved with faith. So the road to this love that he's talking about, faith is the way to it. Like the way that we get to this way of love that, the, that John has been talking about, love of God, love of brother and sister in Christ, it, it comes by, by faith. The true faith leads to this particular quality and depth of love. And that it's a universal feature of faith. And so what he does in this section right here is he begins this little section here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who believes in Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. So he starts off by saying that that if you are born of God, if you have faith, you can know that you've been born of God. Those who are born of God have faith, he says. He's adding to all this list of assurances that he's been giving us to the fact that if you have faith, you can be sure that you've been born of God because God's the one that's given you that faith. That faith resides in your heart because God's given it to you. This is one of his arguments. To believe, he says, to have faith is to be, become a child of God. To be a child of God is to be acted on in such a way that there is a dynamic transformation of who you are. That's what he means when he's born of God. That God has acted in your life in such a way to make you something different. A new birth, a new thing. So this is what it looks like, I think. To have faith. To be able to look at my life and say, do I have faith? And that is my assurance that, I've been, been, that I'm a child of God, that I belong to God. Because these people that he's writing to have been struggling with this idea. And John says, 
basically, do you still have faith? You can be sure that you're a child of God if you have faith. And, and, and here's what that looks like, I think. When difficulties come, if you believe that God is in control, that Jesus is sovereign, that he is at the right hand of God, and that these challenges and these trials are for your good. If you believe that when troubles come, God is still in charge, man, be, be encouraged that you have faith. It's not a normal response to things. If when tragedy strikes and you are in deep lament and you feel that it is awful and it is broken and that everything can never be right again, but yet for some reason you are deeply comforted that Jesus is nearby, be assured that you have faith and that you are a child of God. That is not a normal reaction. If in periods of long stretches of suffering, your faith only seems to grow deeper, you only seem to trust Jesus more, the longer the suffering goes on, be assured that you are a child of God. That is faith. That is not a normal reaction. It is a supernatural one, a gift of God placed in the hearts of his children. The way that we get there, he says, the way that we can know that we're headed there, the way that we can know that we are a child of God, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. We've been born of God if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, if we believe, if we have faith. If when good things happen, when temptation comes, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but when good things come, Temptation is often right there with it because the temptation is always to trust the good thing to take care of you now. I trust Jesus till I win $900 million. Then we'll see what I trust, right? When the temptation comes, faith will teach us, I will not depend on this. Shape my heart in such a way that this is meaningless to me. You could take it all away tomorrow and I would still have Jesus and that would be more than enough. That is how you know You have faith. Be assured of that. Be comforted that God is shaping habits habits and patterns of thinking in your life so you can know that you can be a child of God. No matter what happens, you keep believing that Jesus is the Christ. This is faith. And then he says faith leads to love. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So this is lo- what happens when we believe is that it leads to faith. The first thing that John has said, he doesn't say it right here, but he said it a, verse before, a chapter before, so I want to bring it up again. The first result is that we love God. In 1 John four nineteen, he says we've loved him because he first loved us. Right? He loved us. He gives us faith. And we begin to fall in love with him. One of the first things that happens in our life when we have faith is that we begin to fall more deeply in love with this God who is described in here. The second thing that happens is this. The divine birth, the being a child of God, it results that you love your brothers and sisters. John's back at this again. He's hammering this theme. He's circled back around to it again. Hey, this, he's previously said that you can know that you are secure if you love the brothers and sisters. And he comes back around to it again and says this is actually just not just the way that you know, but it's also a result of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 2 he says this. By this we know, and it's a little confusing to me anyway, by this we know that we love the children of God. Here's how you know that you love other Christians, right? You know you love people, or this is how you know that you love them well. When we love God and obey his commandments. 
And here's why this is a little confusing, because previously he said the way that you know that you love God is if you love the brothers and sisters. And now he's saying, here's how you can know you love the brothers and sisters rightly, is if you are loving God and keeping his commandments. It's a bit of a circular argument, but John doesn't seem to be upset or bothered by that at all. He seems to be saying, I think to me, the best I can in context, what he's saying is that, well, these things are all tied up together, Right? The idea that we can just love God and not love people, not love the brothers and sisters, that doesn't make any sense to John. He's like, how can you separate those two? If you love God, of course you're going to love them. If you love them then, and you love them rightly, of course you're going to love God. If you, if you love God and you love your brothers, of course you're going to be keeping his commandments. You're going to be doing the things that he says. Uh, of course. He's tying all these things together in a knot, and it's really dangerous if we try to uncouple them, if we try to take them apart. Because you get to a situation where you're like, well, I just really love God. I just have no use for religion anymore. And what we mean is I have no use for the church. I have my own personal relationship with God. But I, I refuse to use my talents and my gifts to pour into the local church and local body. I, I love God. And we decouple all those things, and it's, it's concerning. Or, and I get it, we've been hurt, and that happens in first season. But for a long season, it's very, very dangerous. Or we can say, you know what? I love community. I love coming here. I love the people. I found a place where I fit in, and I am so grateful for these people. But if it does not point you to also loving God, you just love the community and love the people, that's not what he's talking about. And it'll show up because you will not keep his commandments. All of these things are tied up together in John's mind. Is the way that we confirm our love for our fellow believers is when we love God in such a way to the extent that we are obedient to what he commands. We live in a world that says, believe what you want to believe and do what you want to do. Um, in living this way, I think we begin to, it's possible to be living in such a way that you're believing what you want to believe and doing what you want to do that overlaps. There are seasons and and, and times and, and periods in history when doing some of those things, what you want to do and what you believe, that it overlaps with some of the things that the church would do. Let me see if I can say this a better way. Sometimes what you want to do and what you believe some of that just looks like what the church also believes. Does that make sense? Like, maybe I'm not doing it because God told me to. Maybe just some of the things that I believe and some of the things that I'm already doing. I value community. The church values community. Therefore, those things overlap, so I must be part of this. John says not necessarily. Hey, I hold a certain sexual ethic. That church holds a that, that sexual ethic. Maybe I'm maybe I a part of them. And, and, and clearly because that overlaps, I, I'm a part of that. And John says, no, not necessarily. It's possible for us to be memorizing scripture and leading Bible studies and doing all of these things and that somehow benefits us in a social way. It benefits us in a way that this overlap makes, it kind of, makes us begin to believe that we have faith when we really don't. Because it's not a love of God and it's not an obedience to his commandment. The world believes that... I heard that, I was listening to a podcast this week and they, uh, they got on the Wayback Machine and pulled up an episode of a, a talk show. Uh, and it was really interesting though. I was glad they did it because it was very informative. It wasn't that old. Uh, but that long ago, I don't guess. But... 
the talk show, they were talking about Christian, secular talk show, daytime talk show, and they were talking, the panel was talking about Christianity, and someone said on the panel, well, you know what, yeah, it's fine to be a Christian, that's fine, yeah, of course, like, you know, because what really matters at the end of the day is just that you're a good person, that you're kind and that you're nice, and you could hear other people on the panel going, yeah, yeah, right, like, all religion is kind of the same, it's just about how you behave, right, it's just about you being a good person. And then all of a sudden, this one person, I have no idea who she was, starts going, no, no, no. And she's like kind of louder and louder and louder. No, 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 no. And I was like, I was like, uh-oh, what's happening right now? I got kind of excited. And she's, she goes, no, no. And she starts going on and on about grace and injecting like, like this very religious talk. And literally, this was a response from one of the hosts. What? She goes, that's not Christianity at all. And she goes, go on and on about grace. The impression sometimes from outside of the church, uh, about from the world, looking at the church is, yeah, 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 it's fine. I'm glad you have those things. I'm glad they make you moral. There are actually recent secular scholars that actually go, you know what? We kind of need, I read a great article about, about uh, from this secular scholar. He said, I'm an atheist, but you know what uh, Africa needs? It needs Christianity. It needs, he's talking about this one nation that needed something to pull it together, something to believe in, something solid. And all religions are the same. They're just a thing to control you and Christianity's already on the ground. So let's just help it spread because it'll help people be nicer to each other and forgive. John says, no. He says, you cannot take apart your love and affection of God your love and affection of God and, and your, from your love and affection of other people, from your being obedient to him. These are all one thing. Any one of these is not the gospel at all. It's just you sometimes lining up with the things. And I think that we can be so confused, even inside the church sometimes, that this is what we need, right? Like we need... We need good jobs, we need success, we need to give our kids all of these opportunities, Uh, we need to make sure we have enough in savings, we need to do all these things, and then just a little dash of Christianity to make us ethical. John says that's not at all what Jesus was about. It's not about us just acting right. Because let's be honest, I'll be honest with you, if you have enough money and enough time uh, and you can just show up at church and and, and pretend uh, and uh, you know what, church becomes a place for shiny, happy people instead of what it was supposed to be uh, for broken sinners in need of salvation. It's not a place for shiny, happy people. Don't come here because you know what, I need to show off my shiny, happy life. That's what Instagram for, not church. You can lie there, don't lie here. Bring in your brokenness. Bring it to Jesus. Bring in your need, your sin, your hurt, your wounds. That's what this is for. It's in worship and hearing you sing the songs of the people of God. My heart is healed. Somehow the Spirit works in my life when I hear you guys sing, when I hear you confess the truth. It's not through me preaching. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit as the truth of the gospel is proclaimed through all of the things that we do. These things cannot be broken apart as we celebrate this God. And we can tell when this is happening in our life because we prioritize uh, other things, right? You can tell that, that church is just a thing that's, or, or religion is just a thing that you've added to your life when you begin to prioritize other things. When other things, leisure and vacation and, and other things begin to uh, begin to become priorities over Christ, over gathering with, with the believers, over being obedient. They, they take a place higher than 
the place of Jesus as Christ, and that begins to affect us and, and, and change us and, and, and mold us in a whole new and a whole different way. What we end up doing is picking and choosing the parts that we like and leaving the rest. I like that part about being nice to one another. That's good. That part about giving my money away, though, hard pass. I like that part about us loving each other and community being important. I love that part. Loving my neighbor who is a jerk, hard pass. I love the part about living forever and not going to hell. The part about laying down my life daily, I don't want that part. Love forgiving people who have wronged me? Yuck. How can that be the way? How can that be the way? I like parts of this, but not other parts. And John says, that's not what's going on here. This is not a religion to make you act right. It's not some way to just uh, 10 steps to a happier life. That's not what it is. It is about faith changing us. Faith in this Jesus who has done these things, molding us to be more and more like him. We can create shiny, happy people for a little while. Until something that you want more comes along and then we are quick to abandon it. We can look right until tragedy strikes. We can look right until something comes along. A temptation is a little too strong for us and it changes us. And that's not what we're talking about here. It's not what John is talking about. Proper love is the result of a new life, the result of being a child of God. It's not just about being nice. It's a new love that is produced in us for the people of God because of what God has done inside of us. So here's what we do. There's this amazing story. Uh, It's in Mark. Uh, uh, Mark chapter 9. Jesus has been traveling around. He's actually, this is right after the, um, the uh, transfiguration. This guy's son, his son has been um, possessed with this demon, and the disciples can't cast it out, and so they bring him to Jesus. It says this. Uh, this is a nine, I'm starting verse 20. They brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? Can you imagine the pain of a father who has a son who begins to go into convulsions and will throw himself into the fire, try to drown himself, drown him? Like, just can you imagine the pain of this father? You know, I've heard there's this itinerant guy, this guy that's traveling around, and he sometimes does miracles. And he's like, I got to take my son to him. So he comes before him. He brings his son before him, and he says, Jesus says, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from his childhood, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Listen to the father's response. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. That has been my primary experience as a Christian. I believe. Help my unbelief. We think and look and go, look, I'm not loving people like I should. I want, to, I want that in my heart. I, I, I want to be a person who just gushes love instead of sarcasm. 
I want a person who gushes just, I love this person. They come to me and you've wounded me and my, immediately my heart breaks for you instead of me wanting to punch you in the throat. I want to be that person. I want my heart to be filled that way. And I feel like such a failure and I come and I pour out my, I'm not this way, why? And the answer's not because you're not trying hard enough to love people. It's not because you're an extrovert or an Enneagram one or whatever. It's because my faith is weak. The love doesn't flow out of me because my faith is weak. And so we go to God over and over again and don't say, just make me a better person. I have faith. Increase my faith. I have faith to help the places in my heart where I don't believe I'm going to be okay without that. Don't, I'm not going to be okay without that. I have to be this way in the world or I'm not going to be okay. Help those places because what that really is is just unbelief. I don't believe that you're going to take care of me. I don't believe I'm going to be okay if I have to give a part of my money away. I don't believe I'm okay if I have to forgive this person. I don't believe that I'm going to be okay if I have to love other people. I don't believe I'm okay. I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe. The reason we don't love like we ought to, the reason we don't love like we want to, because that's a beautiful way to live, is unbelief, according to this text. And this is great news, by the way. Uh, we cry out to God for faith. It's so core, it's so central to everything that we do. Uh, uh, there's this guy, uh, this German monk named uh, Luther, uh, and, uh, well, that was his last name, but we're tight, so I call him Luther. Uh, but a uh, long time ago, and Luther said, he'd been, he, did, he said he, he's reading all about grace and all this stuff in Romans, and he said uh, later in life, he's like, I really didn't find the first part of, of Romans, the part that talks about grace and mercy and all that stuff, very helpful for teaching. I never really ever taught it. I only taught the second half the, or the later parts because those verses are really tell you like virtue, like how to be in the world. And he says, I missed something though. He says, now what I realize is the first three chapters tell you all about how to be righteous. It's by faith. They tell you to how to receive grace. It's by faith. The rest of that stuff, those virtues, those are just marks and ornaments of the one who is righteous, been declared righteous already. It's faith at its core to who we are. And it's great news because here's the reality. I think it's a weird thing to talk about faith so much, but here's the thing. I think, I guess, I guess we can sometimes perceive it to be a weird thing, but here's what I realized. This is really good news because it's not actually that weird. And here's what I mean by that. You have faith in something. Like everybody has faith in something. Like we live by faith in something. If you for some reason here are an atheist and struggling with does God even exist, I don't, I want you to know this. You're not walking away from Christianity into this neutral thing. You're walking to a different faith that says I will never have to give account for the life that I've lived. I just don't have that much faith. I kind of know that I'm going to give account for the life that I've lived. If you walk into, uh, if you choose to like walk away, and it, or how about this? If let's say, let's take a, a, a stereotypical like a, a you know a financial bro right on Wall Street, uh, you know, uh, if I just work hard enough and have enough money, then everything will be okay. That's a religion in itself. 
It's a faith in something that I will be okay, that I will have value, that I will have worth, that I will have security, that I will have stability if I just have enough money. If I have enough savings, everything will be fine. And you lend in, if that's what you believe, you end up living that way by faith. Or you know what? If I just raise my kids right, if I do all the right things, give them all the right opportunities, if I protect them in such a way that nothing bad ever happens to them, then everything will be okay. And we end up having faith that somehow if we do that, that means we're a good person, that everything will be okay, that my future is secure because I've done, I've been a good parent. Or if I'm just a good enough spouse, if I can just do all the things and I can protect my marriage and even when I just have to hang on, even when it gets terrible, I just have to hang on. If I just protect all of these things, then everything will be okay. And we end up putting faith in our performance, or we end up putting faith in our ability to handle, or we end up putting faith in all of these other things. We're constantly living by faith in something. Here is faith that no matter what happens, relationships hurt, financial turmoil. I think that's one of the reasons, by the way, that COVID was so hard on us, like, like mentally. One of the reasons. I mean, there was a lot. But one of the things, at least, was we thought we had a handle on everything and everything will be okay, right? Everything will be fine, and all of a sudden, this thing is dropped into our lab, and everybody's like, we don't know what to do. And all of the things that we believed about everybody being safe, if I just have enough money and the stock market collapses, if I just have my health, and all of a sudden, that's at constant risk. I think just all of a sudden the realization that, you know, we're on this giant blue ball spinning through, or this tiny little blue marble spinning through space at thousands of miles an hour, and we thought we were in control of everything and we weren't. I think that realization crashing down on us made some of us crazy. Because we kind of, without even realizing, we had faith. That we have this. Bad things don't happen. But here... This is a call to have faith in a God who has loved us enough to pursue us. In a God that no matter what happens, he has promised us that his love will never leave us. That mountains could fall, the stars could fall from the sky, everything could fall apart, and there is absolutely nothing that will ever separate us from his loyal pursuing love. Not even, according to the scriptures, death itself. Here is a faith in an object that loves me in a way that a career won't, in a way that my health won't, in a way that nothing else will. So this faith, what is it, right? Um, some people, I think we've reduced it sometimes. It's easy to kind of uh, reduce this, uh, the biblical notion of faith to uh, one of two things. I- I've heard this uh, before. Like, well, you, uh, here's the things that you have to believe. Like, we're going to get to heaven and there's just going to be some kind of like theology test, right? Like, hey, like, here's the things that you have to ex- absolutely get right. Uh, and, and, and it's just so hardcore. Like, this is what you have to believe. And if you don't believe, if you believe, like, off right here on this one thing, like, you're out, right? You baptize some babies over there, probably going to hell, right? Like, I don't know. Like, we get really upset about like some like really detailed stuff. And I've heard other people, though, and like, it doesn't really matter what you believe, it's a relationship, right? I have a relationship with God. It's just kind of like, it's, it's a good feeling, you know? And John says that neither one of those is sufficient. There are things that you have to believe, right? He says you need to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that means a lot. It's a big, it's a loaded word. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one who fulfills all things. You have to believe that. But there's not going to be a theology test when you get to heaven, 
And also, it's a very specific relationship that you have to have. It's not just a relationship with God generic. It's a very specific relationship. It is, it is one of a submissive heart and a submissive life to the real Jesus, to the specific Jesus that was revealed in Scripture who came and walked the earth, not to the Jesus that I made up that's just supposed to be my helper. It's a fake Jesus. But a specific Jesus who says crazy things like lay down your life. <laughs> right? To Jesus who says that the way up is down. To the Jesus who says, follow me and leave everything else behind. The Jesus that says that really the only way to know me and to have me, the only way to heaven, the only way to the life that you're looking for is through me. He says crazy things like, this is my body and this is my blood. This is the way. It's the relationship with him. It is believing that Jesus is the Christ, yes. But it's also a surrender of a heart. It's a faith that not only accepts these things, but believes them and applies them, right? It, faith involves the affections, right? The love of God and people, as well as the will, as well as the intellect. It's amazing. Faith is not picking and choosing what we think might make us better or might make our life better. Faith is a surrendering. This is beautiful. Faith frees us from the penalty of sin. Yes, we knew this. Don't go to hell, but it also frees us from the power of sin. It says this in verse 3. By this we know that we have uh, love, oh, sorry, this two. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. This is what God's love is like. His commands are not burdensome, which sounds like good news. Uh, if you've been a Christian for very long, though, you've gone through season, and you're like, that's just not true. It's real hard, <laughs> right? You've been through season, and you're like, this is real hard. Also, by the way, uh, Chris, aren't you the one who's constantly telling us that Jesus says crazy things like pick up your cross and follow me daily? That doesn't sound unburdensome. That sounds real hard, Chris. Fair criticism. Let me explain. Jesus does say that. He does say if you're going to follow me, here's what it looks like. You have to die to yourself every single day. Pick up your cross and follow me is what he says. If you want to go where I'm going, it is a process of dying to yourself. He also says, my commandments come to me. I am gentle and lowly, and my burden is not heavy. How do these things go together? Here's how they go together. The thing that makes following Jesus burdensome is my old self. Right? The thing that I need to die to is what frees me up to live a life that is not heavy. It's the things that I believe that aren't true. It's the things that I put faith in that, that, that I trust more than Jesus to make everything okay. Those are the things that make believing and trusting and following him so hard. When I die to these things, when I trust him, things become lighter. Here's, let me explain. If I, and I'm this way, I'm not pointing fingers at you, If there's a certain amount of money in my savings account and banking account, everything's just fine. If it drops 22 cents below that number, I'm walking the sidewalks looking for quarters so I can sleep tonight. Like, I I need to know that I have this right here so everything will be okay. And look, I'm pro-financial planning. I am anti-putting my faith that everything's going to be just fine because of where my bank account and my savings account are. When I learn to die to that, being generous and loving becomes a whole lot easier. Being generous and loving is really hard if I'm only okay. When I have faith in my ability to earn, that is what makes following Jesus' way hard. 
So I learned to die to myself, to stop having faith in things that can't give me life, to follow him. And then as I die to myself, following him becomes an easy burden. Becomes easy. I am okay as long as Gibson is within eyesight. Wendy's much better about this than me, by the way. She's like, yeah, like, here's a, here's a pocket knife and a sword and a motorcycle. Go have fun. Like, she's just like, go ahead. Here's some fireworks, too. Pow, pow, pow. Make sure you build a ramp. And I'm like, like constantly looking and watching him. Like, he can't, he can't get out of my sight. And like, I have to fight that urge inside of me. And part of me is like, everything will be fine as long as I can protect him and keep him safe. And here's what I know deep and true. I can't. I can't can't. I can do things and I want to be a responsible parent and I'll do those things and I'll stop Wendy from letting him shoot fireworks off out of his hand. But the reality is, is that my misplaced faith that as long as he's okay, I can believe in Jesus. That's a really burdensome way to live. But when I surrender that, when I recognize that faith is misplaced and instead place it in a God who says that not even death is a thing to me, that means you can go through sorrow, you can go through hurt, you can go through loss, you can go through weeping, but you still have that comfort that God is with you. Unbelievable. His burdens are light. Such a beautiful thing that it's by faith that we believe. Um, it's such, so much more democratic than knowledge, right? Or being good. So this is how we overcome. This is where I started, and then I'm done. This will be quick. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So those that are his children, they overcome the world. Uh, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? John has a broken record. I love it so much. He keeps bringing new things in as he repeats these things over and over again. So here's it is. Uh, this author, uh, I, wrote, I love what he said about this, N.T. Wright. I'm relying him heavily on, uh, on him for this point. Uh, he says this. Uh, when Jesus talks about overcoming the world, what he's talking about, as a matter of fact, the way that Jesus conquers the world, according to him, is when he faces Pilate, You know, the Roman Empire, the force of the Roman Empire, the strongest power on earth, and Jesus is standing there, and he's about to crucify him, and he says, listen, aren't you going to say anything for yourself? And Jesus doesn't say anything. Instead, he goes to the cross and dies, and it looks for a moment like the powers and the authorities, the religious structures, uh, the corrupt religious structures, and the the, uh, economic and and political might uh, 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 of Rome has defeated Jesus. Jesus actually says that it's through that that they are actually defeated. His great victory is actually in the cross and then the resurrection that comes after that. That is the great victory that has overcome the world. The victory that conquers the world is the saving death of Jesus. And we have that by clinging to him. The world is not just a source of temptation and distraction, but it is a positive power for evil. And it resents, this is N.T. Wright, resenting the arrival of its own creator to claim his rightful lordship over it. The world hates it. Jesus shows up and says, this is mine. All of it is mine, and the world hates it and tries to destroy him, and it looks like he wins. The world fights back. And Jesus says, even in his, not even in it, but it is actually through his death that we are saved. What an amazing thing.
This is reassurance. John is writing these things to reassure people that are listening. Because here's the truth. Living the Christian life, sometimes it feels like you aren't winning. It doesn't feel like you're overcoming very much. There are days when you were just trying to love people well and you keep getting kicked and you're like, you know what? I'm ready to kick back. It doesn't look like winning. There are days when you say, well, this is what the Bible says and these are the things that I believe and the rest of the world looks at you and says, you're an idiot and you're stupid and you want to fight back because it doesn't look like you're winning. I really believe that's most revelation, the book of Revelation. I really believe most of Revelation is saying, I know it looks like you're losing, but let me show you, let me pull back the veil for a second and show you what's happening in eternity. All that, like, you know, hookers riding dragons and being cast into like lakes of fire and stuff. Like, all that is God saying, don't you worry. I know it doesn't feel like you're winning today, but I promise you that you are. It is through obedience and dying to ourselves, dying over and over again, loving when we aren't loved back, following the example of Christ, that obedience, that loving, that is assurance that we are children of God and not even death itself will overcome us. Matter of fact, it says that we have already overcome. And here's why you should follow this Jesus if you're not already. Let me try to convince you for just one second. And I'm going to read to you straight out of what Wright wrote. It says this, no other God, no other power, no other being in all of the world loves like this, gives like this, dies like this. All others win victory by fighting. This one by suffering. All other gods exercise power by killing. This one, by dying. This is why you would give your life to Jesus, to following Jesus. You are living by faith in something. Only this God loves like this, dies like this, gives like this, promises like this. To our eyes, it doesn't look like winning a lot of days. I know. But I promise you, it is. God, we have faith. Increase our faith. Let's pray. Father, what a miraculous thing. What a miraculous love. We can't help but living for something. God, may we have the wisdom and the courage to live for you, to look at what looks like losing sometimes and say, you know what? The cross looked like losing, but it was the greatest victory ever. The victory over sin, the victory over this world, the victory over death. We can live this out now. We can live this reality out even now. We won't know it in full till you return and make all things new. But even now in part, we can live the reality of the victory over death and hell and sin itself that we have by faith in Jesus Christ. That when we trust, when we love, when we care about and lay down our life for the brothers, that is assurance for us that we are children of God. We have faith but increase our faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.